It is our privilege to turn to a portion of the Bible today, and today we're going to continue to read a few passages as we've been doing the last few weeks from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 today. It's in the New Testament right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you'll get to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading at verse 26. Let's pray together. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. We ask that you will send your spirit now to give us deeper insight encouragement, faith, and hope through the proclamation of the Easter gospel. Amen. Our text involves the travels of Philip, one of the seven deacons in the early church. So before we read the text, let's take a look at a map that shows Philip's journey. Prior to our text, we can read that Philip has been inland in the city of Samaria, circled in green at the beginning of his trip, which is marked with a yellow line. Our text reveals that he travels south to Jerusalem near the Dead Sea. And then Philip heads west on the desert road toward the coastal city of Gaza, indicated, including a special encounter at that green X. And then from Gaza, he travels north to Azotus and eventually to Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So as we read about Philip's travels in our text, this will help you understand where he's been traveling to and from. Acts chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandakte, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch told Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? 
Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the, re the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Since the beginning of the pandemic, I will occasionally read some research articles that are not connected with any news sources and the biases that are often included. So I read some updates from scientific and medical organizations like the Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins University, the American Society for Microbiology, and the New England Journal of Medicine. I should truthfully say I've tried my best to read and comprehend the writings of these organizations. But the truth is that these scientists and researchers are writing for their peers in order to share their discoveries that continue to help our entire world to combat this virus in multiple ways. The scientific and technical language of these articles is often way beyond my ability to comprehend. But I'm certainly thankful for their ongoing examinations and findings that are giving guidance to all of humanity in this worldwide battle. If I truly want to understand everything I read in those articles, I'll need someone to explain it to me. The Ethiopian in our text needs some explanation about what he's been reading too. This man worships the God of the Jews and is returning home from a time of worship in Jerusalem at the temple. On this map, we learn that home is in Ethiopia, and also from the text, but it's in a slightly different location than its current circled spot just north of Somalia. During New Testament times, Ethiopia they are in the red box, extended from the Aswan Dam in southern Egypt to the city of Khartoum in what is today's central Sudan. I can turn the map off. This man is a government employee, the chief treasurer of the royal court. Most likely, he's a black man who has somehow become a believer in the God of the Israelites. He's traveling in royal style, reading in his chariot while his driver takes them back home to Ethiopia on a long journey of probably up to a thousand miles. Verse 27 notes that this man is a eunuch, 
Simon Kistmacher gives this explanation in his commentary. Luke notes that the occupant of the carriage is a eunuch, which normally refers to a keeper of the harem. Such a person was emasculated. However, the term is also used of government officials of that day, and perhaps should not be taken literally, for it does not mean that these men were deprived of their male functions. If we understand that word eunuch literally, then we see that Christianity is removing the barriers that Judaism had erected. A foreigner could become a convert to Judaism, but because the eunuch, because the Ethiopian was a eunuch, he could not fully participate in the temple worship. Although he traveled to Jerusalem for worship, he was still considered, considered a semi-proselyte. Nevertheless, the, New, the Old Testament predicted the day when foreigners and eunuchs would no longer be excluded from the fellowship of God's people, as Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 56. As this God-fearing Ethiopian government official travels along in his chariot, he's doing some reading of a scroll of the Greek translation of Isaiah that he perhaps purchased while he was in Jerusalem. Greek was the common language throughout the world at the time. Acts 8, verse 32 and 33 reveal that the passage that he's reading is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8. Here is what those two verses of Isaiah 53 look like in the manuscript of the Greek translation of the original Hebrew. The scroll consists of column after column of writing with all the words strung together without any spaces. In ancient times, people read out loud and thought it was, a, was strange that any reader would not do so. In fact, the J Jewish rabbis were of the opinion that reading a manuscript aloud was an aid to memorization, and silent reading was cause for forgetfulness. These challenges would be apparent to anyone who tries to read a copy of the ancient manuscript. The words need to be spelled out, and this is done much more easily out loud than in silence, no matter how much experience a reader might have. As the Ethiopian painstakingly reads his scrolls out loud, he discovers that this Isaiah text is not very easy to understand. As he rides along that desert road, he comes to the realization that he needs help if this passage in Isaiah is going to make any sense to him. At some point in time in each one of our faith journeys, we need help too, to make sense of the gospel message that is written for us in our Bibles. When we're children, still learning to read, the full text of a Bible seems overwhelming to comprehend, since most translations are at sixth and seventh grade reading levels. That's kind of tough if you're in first grade. As middle schoolers, we take one look at that thousand-and-some-page book and just shake our heads. It's a huge book. How would we ever be able to finish it? 
that opinion of, be, of the Bible being a huge book about so many different people and topics doesn't change all that much for high schoolers and for us adults either. There's always something more to learn, always something more to understand. It's made even more challenging for some of us who didn't grow up hearing any Bible stories or participating in a church community. All of us need help to keep on learning more about the Bible and its good news about Jesus Christ. I've mentioned to some of you that one of the most important things that I learned in seminary was how to keep on learning more about God and his word. While the Ethiopian is struggling with reading and understanding God's word on his long chariot ride home to Ethiopia, the spirit of God has been at work in the heart and mind of Philip, way up north. He's one of the deacons chosen along with Stephen to serve God's people in the early New Testament church. Philip has been preaching in Samaria. Philip hears the voice of the Spirit, an angel who says, get going and go to that desert road down south that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's it. No other instructions, no hints, no clues, just go. As obedient Philip walks along this desert road, he spots the Ethiopian traveling in the royal style that is fitting with his position as the royal treasurer. And once again, the spirit speaks to Philip. Psst, catch up to that chariot and stay with it. Still no other indications of what the spirit might have in mind for Philip. But after two messages from the spirit, Peter, Philip's heart and mind are ready to be used by God. And Philip begins trotting alongside the Ethiopian's chariot. And he hears him doing his best to read out loud those verses from Isaiah 53 about an unnamed person who is suffering. Philip jumps right in and asked him if the passage is making any sense. And when the Ethiopian admits that he can't figure it out without any help, he asks Philip to climb right up into that royal chariot and sit there with him. Since it's not clear to the Ethiopian who Isaiah is talking about, Philip begins to explain, beginning with that very text in Isaiah. Philip has been an, a believing witness to all that has happened to Jesus. His ministry, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the good news of salvation that is for everyone who believes in Jesus, including, excuse me, for everyone who believes in Jesus, that person that Isaiah was talking about. As the chariot continues along the desert road, explain. Everything that Philip explains becomes clear to the Ethiopian. He becomes the newest follower of Jesus, and Philip baptizes him right there along the roadside. One more time, 
the Spirit of the Lord works in the life of Philip by whisking him away from that baptism spot. And Philip continues on preaching the good news of Jesus, heading north along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea toward Caesarea. The Ethiopian treasury official, well, he's not too worried about Philip. He's ecstatic about his newfound faith and his understanding of how the God of the Jews has worked out all those prophecies of the Old Testament. He's got a long trip home ahead of him, but he is full of joy because of the salvation that he now has because of Jesus Christ. The Spirit continues to be at work in our lives right here at Creston Church. There are times when we might be like that Ethiopian, needing someone to show us the way to Jesus. As time goes by, we need others to help us to continue to learn more about this Savior who loves us so much that he was willing to give his very life on our behalf. The Spirit is also at work leading and guiding us to take every opportunity that he puts in front of us to tell someone else about Jesus. And we get better and better at this throughout our lives. Even the Ethiopian is a good example for us. Read the Bible out loud. It helps us slow down so we can comprehend it. Go ahead and ask questions about what you read. That's exactly what happens every week before a sermon gets composed. I print out the text and my paper is full of question marks all around in the margins. Ask questions just like the Ethiopian. The scripture and the pondering questions are good ways to help us keep on getting at the heart of the good news in any passage in the Bible. Philip is also an example for us. His heart was open and obedient to follow those directions of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he heard God speaking out loud. And other times when he knew that he was in the right place at the right time due to his obedience, he took advantage of every opportunity to talk about Jesus. Philip was bold for Jesus. And he did everything that he could to make sure others could receive this very same salvation because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, as witnesses of what Jesus has done for all of us, the Holy Spirit continues to prompt, continues to guide, continues to direct on his timetable according to his plan and his direction and in his power. In just a few moments, he will continue to do his nudging and nourishing. As we gather at the table, the Spirit will fill our hearts with the thrill of belonging to Jesus. That gives us hope and good reason not to worry about the many possible ministry and witness opportunities. The Holy Spirit has everything well in hand, giving us guidance every step of the way. Thanks be to God for his love and care for us 
in every single way. Amen. Let's pray. Living God, long ago, faithful women and men proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and the world was changed forever. Teach us to keep faith with them. Empower us with your spirit, that our witness may be as bold, that our love may be as deep, and that our faith may be as true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.